reading tonight is from Acts chapter 28, starting at verse 16. If you want to get your Bibles and follow along, otherwise it's up on the screen. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Good day, everyone. It's great to be here tonight. I think you all deserve a medal getting through the weather to church. And those of you online, it's lovely to have you with us. Well, as Jai said today, we're celebrating this year our 10th anniversary of Soul Revival Church and our 30th anniversary of the Soul Revival Ministry. It's hard to believe. And um, when you think about the last 10 years and then even the last 30 years of the history of Australia, it's actually a lot of stuff's gone down in the last 30 years. But soberingly, this week, we had a new census come out to tell us one or two interesting facts about the trends that are happening in our community. Now, this time last year, around this time, we were all hunkered down. Uh, I think actually it was the weekend of Courtney and James's wedding. I think that was the last time we met together publicly, which is celebrated today, I think. Is that right? Is that, was last weekend? Last weekend. So last weekend, like go back to that in your mind, um, a, a, a little envelope arrived in the mail or you might have had a prompt to go online to fill in a survey. But it wasn't just any survey, it was the census of Australia. And apparently that particular census caught more people at home than any other census ever. That was one of the interesting things about that census because we're all locked down. Also, it was the highest proportion of people that have ever filled in a census ever Understandably, people didn't have anything else to do, sitting at home watching TV and Netflix over and over and over. 
Well, the thing about that census is it's given us a bit of a snapshot of some really important directions that the Australian community are going in. Some of them are benign, some of them are positive, and from our point of view, some of them even may be a little disturbing. For example, the census that was recorded last year recorded that the first time in Australian history, less than 50% of Australians self-identified as Christians. And the non-religious group of people in the society have actually started to catch up to the number of people who are Christians. Now that's quite striking because the data from, 19, uh, from 2021 released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics shows that just 44% of Australians now identify as Christian. And if you're wondering what the trajectory is, well, that's down from 52% five years ago. And that's down from 61% in 2011. Now that becomes even more sobering when you go back even further. When the first census in Australia was conducted in 1911, 96% of Australians listed a form of Christianity as a religion. So since 1911, we've gone down from 96% to 44% of people self-identifying as Christians. The proportion of Australians identifying as Catholics has declined from 23% to 20% in the last survey period. And concerningly, in the last five years, the number of people who identified as Anglicans has dropped from 13% to 10%. And we expect that that's probably going to be a continuing trend. By contrast, if you share uh, the data of Australians who identify as non-religious, that has surged. 39% of Australians now identify as non-religious, up from 30% in 2016 and almost double the 22% of Australians who ticked the no religion box a decade ago. The first batch of 2021 data has been released and it shows us that that change has taken place so dramatically because when you look at the mid-1960s, less than 1% of people in Australia are identified as non-religious. Isn't that amazing? That's quite a change. Based on current trends, non-believers could take over Christians as the biggest religious bloc in Australia by the time of the next survey. Well, my question to us tonight is, how does that make you feel? I think it'd be fair enough to say that it's quite sobering and sad. I must admit, when I read this Sydney Morning uh, Herald article where I'm getting this data from, the point that really stuck out to me as I was reading was not even the numbers, but this sentence by the author of the Sydney Morning Herald. Australia, the writer says, has become strikingly more godless in the past decade. I think that's the part that makes me sad. This isn't a popularity contest. This isn't just like an election where people get to elect for God or not for God. It's not like people are choosing God over another uh, a political party or whatever it might be. The sad phrase there that was used is Australia is becoming more godless. And that breaks my heart. Because 30 years ago, a group of us decided we wanted to try and tell as many people as we could about Jesus and in our, in our naivety, we thought as a generation that maybe we could be the generation 
that could pro proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to Australia and that we might see revival in our country. But we haven't. There is no revival. It's been the opposite. So if you're feeling a bit like me tonight and a bit down about that on our 30th anniversary and 10th anniversary, it is very sobering and I want to validate how that feels. Because it's not just when you read the paper that you feel that. You feel that every day as a Christian. You feel that as you listen to conversations on the train. You feel it when you listen to the radio or watch TV. You feel it when you go to the movies and see how Jesus is mocked and ridiculed. How the gospel is seen as old-fashioned and from another generation. You often feel it from your work colleagues who, who uh, sometimes you feel in their presence you've got to be kind of careful what you say in case you might upset someone. Back in 1911, people could talk about God freely and could talk about Christian values without fear of contradiction. But despite the fact that that's sad, I do want to put a bit of a guilt edge on this. Because the thing is, I don't believe that only 1% of Australians back in 1911 were godless. I actually think that the numbers that are coming out in the census are actually more accurately portraying what people actually think about God. You see, there was a time in Australia where it was quite culturally cool to go to church. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous right now. I can't imagine that myself. But there was so much social cachet from going to church that people, to get a bank loan, used to have to get a reference from an Anglican clergyman. It's amazing, isn't it? If you were a Sunday school superintendent, that gave you an opportunity for advancement in your career in the bank because a Sunday school superintendent was considered to be a person of high status. Again, doesn't that sound ridiculous in our day and age? But there's this thing called cultural Christianity that most people subscribe to. I think even though the figures were so dramatically high for the Christian church, I don't think that actually necessarily everyone who said they were a Christian was a Christian. In fact, how many lounge rooms over censuses over many decades has this conversation happened? Hey, sweetheart, what religion are we again? I wonder how many times that question was asked over the dinner table as censuses were filled in in the past. We're Church of England, sweetheart. Remember, that's what you got baptised. Oh, that's right. Don't I have a Bible somewhere with a certificate about that? Yeah, that's right. See, it was called cultural Christianity because it was kind of culturally cool to be a Christian. And the crazy thing is that our churches were full, full and bursting over with not only lots of Christians, but also lots of people who were just doing it because it was the thing to do. In fact, my own parents, when they went to have me christened as a baby, weren't Christians. They just went me to, get, to, to have me done, in my dad's words. You go get your kid done, because that's what you used to do. You used to get your kid christened. It was a nominal Christianity where people would go to church even though they weren't Christians. Now, we might sit around tonight and go, isn't it sad that the statistics are actually going down? Or we might actually go, isn't it exciting that the statistics are actually reflecting the reality? Yes, it is desperately sad that our country is godless, but maybe it's always been godless. And maybe now for the first time we can actually have an honest conversation about what it is to be Christian. Because maybe tonight, as I look around this room 
and, and can't imagine how many people are online as well, but as I look around this room, here is a group of people who've literally walked through the flood to get here. I saw ducks being taken away by the flood on the way to church here. There were SUVs floating down President Avenue. There was trees that had fallen down and crushed cars. Monica's car's crushed. It's been crushed. No, it hasn't, Monica. I'm just joking. Monica and I like a little bit of banter. You guys have put in a big effort to be here. Why have you come to church tonight? Is it giving you cultural cachet at work to be here? Is it helping you with your career? Are you able to stand up in polite society and say, I belong to Saw Revival Church? No. You are here because you love Jesus. You are here because you are a Christian or because you are searching into Christian things and you want to think about it and check it out. Isn't that better? Isn't that awesome that I can stand up and speak to brothers and sisters who are here because they want to grow as Christians, because they want to understand God's word more so that they can become more effective for the kingdom? I talked to some old ministers who remember preaching in the day when it was culturally cool to be a Christian. I remember talking to ministers, one of them Philip Jensen, and he said to me that ministers used to preach evangelistic sermons all the time in church because three quarters of their parish council weren't Christians. Their Sunday school superintendent wasn't a Christian. Their wardens weren't Christians. And most of the congregation weren't Christians. And within their church, there were those crazy ones who took it seriously. And I talked to Philip Jensen about the the days of the 1960s and 70s when people started to go, you know what, I don't want to put on this facade anymore. I'm not a Christian. I'm not going to bother with this anymore. And he remembered feeling a sense of relief because slowly parish councils became Christian. Wardens became Christians. Sunday school superintendents become Christians. And real ministry started taking place in real local Christian churches. So while we may be discouraged tonight that the Christian gospel adherence is declining statistically be encouraged that that statistical decline may only really be actually coming down to reflect the actual number of people in Australia who are Christian and at the end of the day is it a popularity contest anyway it's not that we need to hang our heads and say we're out of date we're you know we're we're yesterday's people what we need to feel is the pang and the sadness of that sentence from the Sydney Morning Herald, Australia has become strikingly more godless over the past decade. What are we to do with that statement? Well, thankfully, we're studying the book of Acts, aren't we? Because I think that our country and our experience in Australia today is so much more like the world of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Lydia and Priscilla and Aquila The world we live in today is that we are a minority and that's a good thing. We are a minority of people who love Jesus and it's a good thing because we still live amongst a majority who are godless. And the godlessness of our age sometimes doesn't even look that different to the godlessness of the Roman Empire, to be honest. The good news is that we can have the same response to the census as Paul did. We can have compassion Rather than sitting here and feeling sad about the church declining, we can realise that unless we, the church, are active, it will continue to decline. We can no longer take the church for granted as Christians. 
We can no longer take for granted that church will still be running next week. And in fact, unfortunately, in the next 10 years, we are going to see churches closing down all over Sydney. And some of them are going to be Anglican churches. Because the overall age of our churches is also getting higher and higher. And the number of young people who are professing faith in Jesus is getting smaller and smaller. Now, 30 years ago, we were aware of this decline just as much as we are tonight. And 30 years ago, we started Soul Revival because we love Jesus. And we wanted to tell other people about Jesus. And we wanted to be a church amongst churches where we weren't the only group telling people about Jesus, but we wanted to do our bit. When we started this series in Acts 1.8, that's exactly what the Bible says will happen. No matter what the statistics, God raises up people, Christians of compassion in every generation, who care about their godless neighbours and their godless work colleagues and their godless friends. Because a godlessness in this life leads to a godlessness in eternity. And we know as Christians that the stakes are high. We know that Jesus came and gave us such a costly gift of grace by dying on the cross and rising to new life. He was not holding anything back so that he could offer eternal life to all who choose it. And then he invites us to continue to partner with him in each new generation to tell everybody about that sacrifice, to stay on point and to not get distracted. Interestingly, in Acts 1.8, we hear that when, the, when Jesus first went up into heaven, he said to the disciples, this is what's going to happen next after I go. What's going to happen next is not just this little group of people is just going to like trundle on for a generation and then everyone's going to die out. This little group of Christians that I leave, probably 120 by the time he died and rose again from the dead and went up into heaven, maybe only 120 Christians. That could have remained just this little sect that took place at a period of time in Israel that no one would have remembered. No, Jesus was bold enough to say this little minority of Christians at this time is going to light a fire that is going to burn through history and it's going to burn forever. It's never ever going to go out. And in Revelation 21, if we look to the end of the New Testament, we read in Revelation 21, chapter 21, verse 1 and following, that in heaven there will be a multitude that is so big that we can't count them. We have a census where we can count the number of Christians in this generation, a dwindling number of those who self-identify as Christians, but so many people are going to be saved by that act of Christ on the cross. So many people are going to believe and repent and turn to Christ that we won't be able to count them. And when we get to heaven and we're part of that multitude, there will not be any census because you won't be able to count them. There'll be too many people. This is what Jesus prophesied in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? Now, we use the word witness to mean that, oh, I witnessed something. And at that level, that is very true because these original Christians did indeed witness the resurrected Christ. But the witness here that he's speaking about is not just a direct witness. I just saw something happen. I'm going to tell something about what happened. No, witness is also representative. A witness is someone who bears witness to a reality. 
And even though, my friends, we have not seen Jesus rise from the dead, we've seen his work in our lives, haven't we? Because we're Christians. I'm not giving an evangelistic talk tonight, and if you've come along hoping to understand Christianity and not a Christian, I want to apologise to you tonight. Most people here know that I love sharing the gospel. But tonight I want to encourage those of us who are Christians. Now that's not completely irrelevant if you're not a Christian because there'll still be things you can learn about Jesus. But what I want to encourage you is the word witness here in the passage in Acts 1.8 is saying Jesus is inviting you to partner with him to spread the fire of the gospel through the generations. And it doesn't actually matter how many of us there are as long as there are some of us in each generation to share that witness, to partner with Jesus. And I want to tell you about the early spread of this gospel, despite great persecution. I mean, think about it. Jesus went before the Sanhedrin, who sent him to Pilate, and Pilate had him executed. Weeks later, after Jesus has risen from the dead and gone back into heaven, weeks and months later, the first Christian martyr went before the same people in the same Jewish tribunal, Sanhedrin, and then he was executed by them. And Paul, at the end of the story today, what we're going to find out is he too is back in Jerusalem before the same Sanhedrin again. And these people want to murder Paul. Why? Because he's representing, he's a witness of Jesus. Now, sometimes I feel like, man, I feel a bit awkward being a Christian, but oh my goodness, I'm not arrested standing before the Sanhedrin with my life on the line. Imagine the fire that must have been in these early Christians and the compassion that they must have had for the lost, the ungodly, because that's what drove them, compassion for the ungodly. They wanted to make sure as many people in their generation could join in with the kingdom as possible, and they were willing to even go to their death so that people could hear about it. Let's have a look what happened. In Acts 1.8, um, Jesus said, you're going to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, we see in Acts 6.7, this happens. So in verse 7 in Acts, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Judea and Samaria, Acts 9.31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. Asia, the gospel goes out to Turkey Acts 19 verse 10, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that miraculous? Within just months of all these things taking place, just short years after Jesus going into heaven, everyone in Asia had heard about Jesus. Now this is starting to get exciting in my mind. It's not about how many people in Asia had become Christians. The big point was, had everybody heard about it? Now, all of a sudden, that becomes something I can partner in, isn't it? I can't get someone to fill in on the, the census that they're a Christian. I can't change that at all. But you know what I can change? That everyone who is ungodly in Australia hears about Jesus in a whimsical, kind and gentle way. And I can devote my life to partner with Jesus to make sure as many people in my generation as possible hear the message about Jesus. Because this is what happens when you hear the message. The first convert in Europe was a lady named Lydia. She was the first Christian on the continent of Europe to hear about Jesus and give her life to Jesus. And we read her story in Acts 16 verse 
verses 11 to 15. It says this, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to a river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyra named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. That's that's actually real expensive cloth. That's like really expensive. Purple's like super expensive. So she's rich, super rich lady. She was a worshipper of God, which means she was interested in God, but she just didn't know about the gospel of Jesus yet. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message and when she and the members of her household were baptized she invited us to her home if you consider me a believer in the Lord she said come stay at my house and she persuaded us isn't it exciting to think that Paul goes down to the river to pray finds a group of women dyeing cloth in their business in their workplace and just starts talking to them and as they talk to them in what, a morning, a day, I don't know, but it's not very long because you don't stay down at the river for too long. While they're actually there in their workplace, he talks about Jesus, she becomes a Christian. And instead of dyeing her cloth in the river, she says, why not baptise me right here in my workplace? Imagine if that took place in your workplace on Monday. Imagine you were just, you know, chatting about the weekend and someone said to you, what did you do on the weekend? I swam to church. Oh, wow, cool. Did you need a change of clothes when you got to church? Yeah, pretty much. Why do you go to church? This is a safe conversation. I I believe in Jesus. Are you one of those people who believe in Jesus? Uh, yeah. That's good because I've heard about it and I'd like to ask some more questions. Can I ask you a question? That can happen tomorrow. Why would that happen? Because God still opens the hearts of people who hear about Jesus. However, you could be at work and someone could say, what did you do on the weekend? And you could say, I swam to church and someone can ring the fire bell and call for the Sanhedrin. It's kind of 50-50, folks. It is kind of 50-50. But I'm here to say that we are a people of compassion And the reason we be prepared to tell someone that we've been to church on the weekend is because we love the ungodly. We love the godless. Because what is life without God? It's godless. What is your life without Jesus? What meaning would you have as a person if you did not have the hope of eternal life? Now, sure, none of us are perfect Christians. We all get distracted at times, don't we? Sometimes we drop the ball. Sometimes we become a bit ungodly ourselves. But Christian, you never become godless. Even if you become ungodly, you do not become godless because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance in eternity. If someone cannot take your Jesus away from you, they can't hurt you. The worst they could do to Paul was take his life away. And a number of prophets warned him about going back to Jerusalem because they said, Paul, the Holy Spirit has told us that if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be captured and taken to Rome and you will die. Please don't do that. And Paul goes, what? Missed the opportunity of telling everyone in Rome? When we read Romans 15, Paul writes this in Jerusalem while he's in prison in, in Jerusalem. He writes the book of Romans to the Romans before he gets there. And he is so bold. This guy is being sent to Rome on charges that could have him killed and he writes the Romans in chapter 15 verse 30 and he says 
oh, um, I'm on my way over, get ready to see me. I can't wait to see you all there in Rome. And by the way, can you help prepare me because I'm pretty keen to get to Spain. What a charger. Now, tonight, we know that the gospel is always opposed, but it always bears fruit. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I sat down in front of the TV and I watched Stranger Things last night with Louise and Elijah. Have you seen Stranger Things? Do you know what I like to do while I watch Stranger Things? Eat chestnuts. I put some chestnuts in the oven. I'm going to bring some the week away if you're keen to grab some. And I cut them in half, I put those suckers in the oven for 15 minutes or so, and then I sit in the dark eating my chestnuts. And if you don't know what a chestnut is, it's irrelevant, but I'll tell you the point. The point is, when you cut open a chestnut, you have a 50-50 chance whether it's going to be fresh or not. And when you sit there in the dark eating chestnuts, half of them taste good and half of them crunch and are ugh, and you have to spit them out. Does it stop me eating chestnuts? No. I like chestnuts. Christian, Paul is a chestnut-eating evangelist. He goes down to the river and sees Lydia. He doesn't know who's going to become a Christian. He doesn't know if they're going to throw him in the river and going to try and drown him. But he has compassion on the godless. And at our 10th year anniversary vision statement, we haven't said one thing about our church in this sermon. And the reason is because Acts did not finish at Acts 28. Even though they killed Paul, the church has continued to share the gospel generation by generation. We think it's approximately 64 generations since Paul. So that means 64 generations of compassionate Christians have shared the chestnuts with the world. And sometimes you get a bad one. And sometimes you get a good one. But if you don't get the chestnuts out, you never get a good one. And if you never share the gospel, you're never going to have anyone saying, hey, that's interesting, can you tell me more? In the next 10 years, Soul Revival is committed to continue to share the gospel of Jesus because that's what Jesus asked us to do. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, that last bit's hard, isn't it? Repent of your sin. Believe the good news about Jesus. But the godless miss out on the kingdom of God. And if you love the godless, you don't want them to miss out on the kingdom of God. And even if some of the godless people reject you when you talk to them, always smile in love, even at rejection, if you can. I know it's awkward. But sometimes I do a forced smile when I get rejected. Like that. That's my forced smile. It's not a real good one. But I tell you what, the reason the sun came up this morning is because there's still a few more people left who are going to join the kingdom of heaven. And the only way they're going to hear about the kingdom is if one of us tell them. And I look at the 260,000 people in the Sutherland Shire and I hope God gives us another 10 years because we've got a lot of telling to do. I want to encourage us to be compassionate for the lost. I want to encourage us that even if you feel awkward sharing the gospel, please think about at least, pray, not at least, please pray for someone. And if you find it hard to tell someone about Jesus, invite them here because I don't mind talking about Jesus. I like it. I enjoy it. 
And I think if you can sit with me with your friend and talk about Jesus, I think you might feel the same fire I feel when I tell someone about Jesus. Because it's not just about we should do the right thing. Come on, let's ask someone to church. It's not what it's about. It's not about, oh my goodness, Australia is in decline with Christianity. We need to build the church so we can catch up to the, to the trends. It's not about that. It just means Australians are becoming more and more realistic about where they stand with Jesus. So let's be more and more realistic where we stand with Jesus at the same rate. Isn't that the way to go? If they are brave enough to admit, I don't believe in Jesus, maybe we can be brave enough to say to people, I believe in Jesus. And I'd love to tell you why. Because I love you. Amen.